Um, Father, I want to thank you um, for the time um, that you've given us to, to be in your word, Lord, on, on, on this beautiful day. And Father, I pray, Lord, you just guide us through the text, Lord. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you'd speak through me um, as we seek to, to look at this text today, Lord. Um, Lord, your word says that your word is, is, is alive and it's active, Lord, and I pray, Lord, that that would be true in our hearts and in our lives and, and in this hearing today. Um, so, yeah, Father, we give you this time, Jesus, uh, and we ask for that you would work in us and through us. Amen. Awesome. Thank you, guys. As I say, for many people, today is, or today is Father's Day. Uh, and for many people, that can, can often be a time of mixed emotions. Okay? For some, it's a day to celebrate the blessing of having a great dad. Um, but for others, it's a reminder of either a relationship lost or a relationship that was never present um, or just a relationship that, that's broken or dysfunctional. Something that's, um, that some, can sometimes even be hurtful. Um, and whatever circumstance that we find ourselves in, we look to Jesus and, and we find hope. And we even saw this last week, okay, when we looked at the, the Gospel of John. We looked at what is arguably one of the most famous verses in, or most well-known verse in the Bible, which is John 3.16, which says this, For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Did you notice that this, this great verse, which most of us will know, is, is from the perspective of God as Father, God the Father. It's from the Father's perspective. And there's many ways God could have revealed himself to us, and yet one of his primary ways he chooses is as a Father. And this is the hope that we have as Christians, that no matter how much our earthly fathers may fail us, our heavenly Father never will. And as soon as we put our faith in Jesus, we get adopted into his family. And we get the father that we've always longed for. And today we're going to take a look, uh, well, we're going to take a slight detour from the Gospel of John. And we're going to briefly look in Genesis at an event in the life of a man called Joseph. And over the last couple of months, I've had the opportunity once again to look at this man's life. And every time I look at it, you just, you just get encouraged by it. And there is so much to learn. And one of the first things we'll see is that Joseph was born into a very dysfunctional family. Um, but before we jump into the text, a couple things to keep in mind when going through any text from the Old, Old Testament. Any text which kind of helps us to understand it. In Romans 15 verse 4, the Apostle Paul says this, For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. And what we're about to read today was written so that we would learn. That we would learn more about our sinful nature, but also that we would learn more about the character and the grace of God. And we see that this text is written so that we can learn from the mistakes and the triumphs of those who came before. And as a result, through the patience through, uh, and the comfort that comes through reading this book, we would leave with hope. So think about that. Learning, patience, and comfort, and hope, that is the power of God working through this book, working through his word, working through the Bible. 
So that's the first thing I want you to keep in mind as we go through this text, okay, is that it is here for our learning. And secondly, and perhaps arguably the most important thing whenever going through any text in Scripture, whether it be Old Testament or New Testament, is that it is ultimately, it's all, it's all about Jesus. So if, uh, if you cast your mind back, after Jesus has died for our sins on the cross and he rises again, he appears to a number of people before ascending in to heaven. And one of those encounters is recorded in the Gospel of Luke. And Jesus meets these two guys who are walking on the road to Emmaus. And some, some of you may know the account. And there are a number of significant things, but one of the main things that stands out is, uh, is, is what Jesus says to them. And he says this as he's walking with them. And uh, rather, the text says this about Jesus. It says this, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So Jesus, in essence, gives the ultimate Bible study. Taking them through what we would know as the Old Testament today, he begins to teach them and explain that it's all about one person. It's all pointing to one person, and that person is Jesus. It's all about Jesus. We see this truth declared once again in John's Gospel, which we'll see in a number of weeks' time. We read this in John's Gospel, chapter 5. And on this occasion, Jesus is talking to the religious leaders before his death. And he says this, You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote about me, but if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? And that's John 5 39 and 46 to 47. Ultimately, Jesus says it's all about Jesus. As we read the Old Testament, it's important to remember that it's, it's all about Jesus. It's all pointing to Jesus. It's not a separate or dis- disconnected section, but rather it works in perfect harmony with what we read in the Gospels, which we've been going through at the moment, and what we read in the rest of the New Testament. And as we go through this, I want you to be looking for Jesus. This narrative which we read is ultimately always about him. And as one author comments, a lady called Sally Lloyd-Jones, she says, every story whispers his name. So keep that in mind, okay, that we're reading this text for our learning, but we're also reading this text because in it, it is ultimately pointing to Jesus. So let us turn to Genesis 31. So if you don't have a Bible, do, uh, there's a couple of Bibles at the back, so do feel free to grab one of those, if you don't have a Bible. Um, and when you do get that Bible, turn to Genesis 37 and verse 1. So chap- Genesis 37 and chapter 1. And this is the very first book of the Bible. So the very first book. So we're going right back to the beginning. Well, not the very beginning, but close enough. So Genesis 31 and verse 1. And here we're going to be introduced to Joseph and his family. So Genesis 37 and verse 1 says this. Now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. Okay, so we pick it up in verse, as I say, in chapter 37 of Genesis. And it begins with a man called Jacob, who we'll find out is the father of Joseph. But before we go further, let me try and quickly unpack a bit of the background so we can understand where this is in relation to history. Okay, so the book of Genesis, first book of the Bible, 
it begins with God. In the beginning was God. The story always starts with him. He is the main character. It's not us. The story is ultimately about him. In the beginning, God speaks creation into existence. So everything that we see, our universe, and even the things outside of our universe, that which we can't see, it was all created by him and it was all created for him. And then the climax of the creation account is us. Man is created in his image, set apart from the rest of creation. And our purpose and reason for being is simply to dwell with God. So that's to be with God and then to to be in relationship with God and then to reflect his glory, to reflect who he is and his greatness. And in the beginning, everything was perfect. Our vertical relationship with God and our horizontal relationship with each other was whole. It was flourishing. It was perfect. And yet, as we read, it was not long until it all came crashing down. You only have to go far as chapter 3 to read where it all comes tumbling down in Adam and Eve's act of disobedience. And as a result, sin enters the world And a theologian and pastor, a guy called John Stott, once described the essence of sin as this, as human beings substituting ourselves for God. Suddenly, that which was good becomes broken. Okay, man is cast out of the garden, out of the presence of God. Our relationship with God is broken. Our relationship with others is also broken. And that includes our relationships. It can even include our relationships with our parents, with our fathers. Every area, really, of our brokenness that we see in our lives can ultimately be traced back to that one event. The sin we commit, the sin we, that is committed against us, and just the general pain of living in a fallen world, it all traces back to that one event. And yet, God had a plan to bring us back. And John stopped continues in that quote where he says this, the essence of sin is we human beings substituting ourselves for God, while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for us. You see, we in our sin put ourselves where only God deserves to be, but God in his grace puts himself where we deserve to be. And after Adam and Eve are cast out of the garden, God continues to speak and interact with his people. Okay, and he's ultimately he's pointing us to the redemption that is to come. Generation after generation goes by. We read of events such as Cain and Abel, Noah's Ark, and the Tower of Babel. And then we come to a man called Abraham. And God calls Ab- comes to Abraham, and he comes to Abraham, and he gives him a promise. And he says, that through you, Abraham, I'm going to rise up a nation. And I'm going to lead this nation to a promised land. And through this nation, God is going to bless the whole world. Through this nation is going to come a redeemer. Through this nation is going to come Jesus. And then we see that Abraham then has a son. His son's called Isaac. And then Isaac would go on to have twins. And one of which was called Jacob, who later gets the name changed to Israel. This is God's chosen family of promise. And guess what? They are just as messed up and broken as us, if not even more so. Check out the next verse. 
So Genesis 37 verse 2, the next verse says this. This is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers. And the lad was with the sons of Bilal and the sons of Zilpah, Zilpah sorry, and his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. So and I think we can see it straight away. The thing which kind of leaps off the page in that verse is, is the plural of wives. You mean Jacob had more than one wife? Unfortunately, yes. In total, Jacob had four wives, two sisters and their maidservants. So when Joseph gives this report to their dad, it's concerning his half-brothers. So essentially they have the same dad, but they have different mums. Now let's get this straight. God and his word is clear that marriage is between one man and one woman. And whenever we step outside of those boundaries, we commit sin. What Jacob did here was sinful, and the consequences we'll see are dire. When, and it just, it just seems like, it doesn't matter whether it's thousands of thousands of years ago or today, we still haven't seemed to learn that trying to redefine what God has clearly spoken never works. Sin always has consequences. And the results often affect those closest to us. They affect our families. And the backdrop to the events that are about to take place is exactly that. It's a broken, it's a dysfunctional family. And it's, it's never the kind of family that God intended. And we see that in the next verse. Next verse, in verse 3. Now Israel, remember this is Jacob, also known as Israel. That's what he gets his name changed to. So now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children. Because he was the son of his old age. Also, he made him a tunic of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Joseph is both the son of the woman that Jacob loved and the son of his old age. And as a result, he becomes his favorite. And it's clear to everyone that Jacob loved Joseph more than the other brothers. And this is amazing because Jacob knows what it's like to be the second favorite child to his own father. And yet he doesn't seem to learn from his father's mistake. And thus we begin to see the result of when a parent has a favorite child, there is jealousy, there's division, there's conflict close behind. Joseph's brothers hated him. And look at the text. It literally says in verse, to the point that they couldn't speak to him peacefully. So literally every time they would speak to him, there would be hatred, there would be animosity, there would be um, conflict in their heart and in their tongue. Literally every time. And Jacob is the example of an imperfect father trying to lead an imperfect family. Jacob fails to learn from his father's mistake. And maybe, maybe that's you. You see the vast gap between the man your father was and the type of man that God calls you to be. And you wonder, can I, can I live up to this call? Can I really be different or am I destined to make the same mistakes? And the truth is, if, if, if we were relying on our own strength, I would say the chances would be pretty slim. But the message of the gospel is that Jesus forgives us when we do fail. But then also Jesus then changes us so we don't have to. 
As we looked at on, on Thursday, we looked at a verse in Galatians where Paul writes this, and this is Galatians 2 verse 20, where he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, for the Christian, it is now Jesus who lives inside of us. And it is Jesus who empowers us to be the kind of men and women that we could never be on our own. So, what do we do if we have a dad who's failed us like Jacob or done even worse? What do we do if we have a dad who fails to love us as he should? We could do a number of things. We could blame ourselves. We, we could blame our dad. We could blame our parents. We could blame the people around us like these brothers do. Or we could turn to our ultimate father. Turn to our ultimate father, God himself, and find our comfort, our worth, our acceptance, and our love in him. Although our earthly fathers may fail us, our heavenly father never will. Remember John 3:16. once again, from the perspective of the Father, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever would believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You see, that's how much you're worth to the Father. In Jacob, we see a father who favors, we see, see in Jacob, we see a father who favors a son at the expense of others. But in God, we see a father who lays down his son for the gain of us all. So that when we would put our faith in Jesus, we would become the children of God. We would become his sons. But back to our text. The tension between Joseph and the rest of his brothers continues to grow. On top of him being Jacob's favorite, he also begins to have dreams. So read the next verse with me, which is verse 5, where it says this. Now Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. And this is why. This is why, because it was this particular dream, and this dream was this. So he said to them, please hear this dream which I have dreamed. And there we were, binding sheaves in the field. And then behold, my sheaf, so that sheaf of grain, sheaf of wheat, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And indeed, your sheaf stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers said to him, shall, indeed, shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Okay, so fair enough. Joseph is simply telling the truth, right? But perhaps it wasn't the best idea to tell his brothers who already hate him that he's recently had a dream in which they bowed down to him. Okay, and as a result, their hatred for him grows more and more and more. But this wasn't the only dream that Joseph had. He had another dream. We read this in verse 9. And then he dreams still another dream. And once again, he, he told it to his brothers and said, look, I have dreamed another dream. And this time the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars bowed down to me. And so he told it to his father and his brothers. And his fathers rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? 
Okay, so his second dream goes even further, right? In this dream, it's not only his brothers who end up bowing to him, but even his parents who are represented by the sun and the moon. Even they are bowing down to him. Okay, so imagine having that conversation with your family over the dinner table. Okay, you sit down, it's like, hey, Joseph, how was your day? Well, it was great, Dad, actually. uh, I had a dream, and in this dream, you guys were bowing down to me. You can imagine that not going down very well, and as expected, he's quickly rebuked by his father and the rest of his family. I mean, imagine, imagine your sibling coming up to you and saying, hey, just had a dream, and in that dream, you were kind of bowing down to me. You know, I think any of us would be kind of a bit like, uh, what, what, are you, what are you talking about? And we see that that's exactly how they, result, how they react, just as we would. It says this in the next verse, verse 11, And his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. You see, there's something greater going here on here than a couple of random dreams. And Joseph and the rest of his family won't see the significance until many, many years later. It is essentially God predicting what is going to happen. What is going to take place many years in the future. You see, even now, God is at work, even in the midst of such a broken family. Consumed by jealousy, as we looked at the brother's hatred towards Joseph, it continues to grow. As with any sin in our lives and hearts, if we fail to address it, it will eventually overflow. It will eventually lead to choices we will live to regret. And just as in Jacob we see an imperfect father, in Joseph's siblings we see imperfect brothers. But thankfully, there was a greater brother yet to come. And his name? Jesus. It says this in Romans 8.28. One of my favorite verses. And we know that all things work together for the good to those who love God. What a promise that is. To those who are called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So among many brothers. Moreover, he predestined, Sorry, moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. You see, God is so amazing. He's holy and beyond our comprehension. God, in his wisdom, reveals himself in different ways. And we've seen already, he reveals himself, God, as God the Father. And But we see Jesus himself reveals himself in a number of different ways. For example, in some places Jesus is described as a king. But then in other places he's described as, as a servant. Other places as our friend, but then in other places as our master. Jesus is also described as our brother. He is the greater older brother. Right? So Joseph's older brothers hated him, but our older brother Jesus loves us. And dies for us, so that we be- we could become Jesus' brothers. Joseph's brothers will betray him, but our older brother Jesus will lay down his life for us. And you see, Jesus chose the cross knowing exactly what would be involved, but Joseph, Joseph didn't see it coming. You want to skip down in your Bibles to verse 18, and it says this, and just reading to the very end now. And this is what happens to Joseph. 
And now, when they saw him afar off, so this is his brothers, they see Joseph coming towards them from a far off distance. Even before he came near them, they conspired against him to kill him. Verse 19, 19, then they said to one another, look, this dreamer is coming. Come, therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit. And we shall say, some wild beast has devoured him. And we shall see what will become of his dreams. So the brothers intend to kill Joseph and just make up a lie, cover up some story, cover up the truth. But then Reuben steps in in 22, verse 22 and says this, shed no blood. And Reuben's one of the brothers. He says this, shed no blood, but cast him into this pit, which is in the wilderness. And do not lay a hand on him, that he might deliver him out of their hands and bring him back to his father. So Reuben quickly says to him, hey, no, no, don't kill him. Just put him in the pit. And Reuben does this. He's trying to stall for time because Reuben ultimately wants to save Joseph. We read this in 23. So it came to pass when Joseph had come to his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the tunic of many colors that was on him. Then they took him and cast him into a pit. And the pit was empty and there was no water in it. And they sat down to eat a meal. Imagine that. Just kind of beat up your brother, throw him into a pit, and he's like, you know what, we need some food, man. Let's just sit down, have some food. So they're chilling out, they're having some food while they're beating up brothers in, in the pit. And then we read this take place. And they lifted up their eyes, this is 25, and they looked. And there was a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing spices, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry them down to Egypt. So Judah said to his brothers, Hey, what profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him. For he is our brother and our flesh. And his brothers listen. So Judah says, Hey, if we kill him, what what profit is that going to be? Let's actually get some profit out of this. And then he comes up with the excuse of, Well, you know, I mean, he is our brother. I mean, we don't want to like lay our hand on him. We don't want to kill him. He's our brother. And you see, so what they do is they, they sell him. They sell him into slavery. 28, then Midianite traders passed by. So the brothers pulled Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. And then Reuben returned to the pit. And indeed, Joseph was not in the pit and he tore his clothes. And he returned to his brothers and said, the lad is no more. And I, where shall I go? So Reuben comes back. The guy, the brother who actually wants to save him, he comes back, but it's too late. Joseph is gone, and Reuben tears his clothes as a sign of mourning. Verse 31, so they took Joseph's tunic. They killed a kid of the goats, dipped the tunic in blood. And then they sent the tunic of many colors, and they brought it to their father and said, We have found this. Do you know whether it is your son's tunic or not? And he recognized it and said, it is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Without doubt, Joseph is torn to pieces. And then Joseph, sorry, Jacob, then Jacob tore his clothes, put sackcloth on his waist and mourned for his son many days. So the brothers come and they come up with this story to cover it up. Hey, let's just take his, his garment, his coat, let's just tear it up, 
put a bit of animal's blood on it and we'll just bring it to the dad and he'll and we'll just say that some animal has devoured him and the dad believes it so Jacob thinks his son is completely dead and gone and as a result he is completely devastated as any 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 parent would be verse 35 says this and all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him but he refused to be comforted and he said for I shall go down into the grave to my son in mourning Thus his father wept for him. Now the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, and captain of the guard. Imagine how the brothers must have felt. In that moment when they're kind of head on in their sin, I bet they were thinking, yeah man, we, 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 we've gotten rid of the guy we don't want, we've gotten rid of the problem, we've gotten rid of Joseph, and we even made a bit of money from it. This is great. And imagine... Just how their faces would have then turned to then see their dad so devastated. And I think in the, in the months and years to come, how then they would reflect back on that moment and live with such regret. But here we see Jacob completely distraught and here we see Joseph sold into slavery, taken away from his family. And the rest of the book of Genesis focuses on the life of Joseph. It's amazing that actually the Joseph, his life takes up a huge chunk of Genesis. For the remaining chapters, all the way to chapter 50, it will tell the remainder of Joseph's life. But remember, Joseph, at least 17 years of age, still only a teenager, is now sold into slavery by his own brothers. He would spend his early adulthood without a father in his life, it would take around 20 years, at least 20 years or so, before he would see his dad again. 20 years, over 20 years without seeing his dad through no choice of his own. But despite his absence, Joseph would become a man who would overcome great temptation. He would continue to serve God in the midst of suffering. He would develop a healthy faith and relationship with God. He would become a man who would not become consumed by bitterness, but instead could issue mercy and issue forgiveness. All of this was possible because although his earthly father was absent for those 20 plus years, his heavenly father wasn't. Through the narrative, the author repeatedly says these words. In a couple places in Genesis, he says this, And the Lord was with Joseph. You see it as a repeated theme, and the Lord was with Joseph. In Jacob, we have an extremely broken family. And the people we read of in the Bible are far from perfect. They have issues just like us, if not worse. And that should give us encouragement because it shows us that God reaches out to us in our brokenness and our sin and does amazing works in the lives of such people and their families. The rest of Genesis describes, will go on to describe how God would use this family to bring about salvation. You see, Joseph, after being sold into slavery, will then be thrown into prison, as you may know. He will then be falsely accused of a crime he didn't commit. He would spend years there until he would be set free and made second in command over all of Egypt because he interpreted the dream of Pharaoh. And this dream of Pharaoh, which foretold seven years of abundance, followed by seven years of famine. Because of Joseph, Egypt was prepared and their lives were saved, but also the lives of his brothers. 
because of the famine, they would go to Egypt for food, the brothers, and they would be reunited with their long-lost brother. You see, their very act of evil turns out to be used as their act of salvation. As Joseph would say right at the end, one of my favorite verses in, 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 in Genesis, where it says this in Genesis 50 verse 20, and this is Joseph speaking to his brothers recon, as he's been reconciled with his brothers, and he says this, But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. In order to bring it about as it is this day, to save many people alive. You see, Joseph could look back at all that pain and that suffering and that betrayal, and he could say to them, I forgive you. Do you know why? I forgive you because God has used this. God has used this for a greater purpose, and that greater purpose was to save people. But this act of salvation, it goes even further than just the Egyptians and, and, and Joseph's family and the surrounding nations. God doesn't just use these events to save just the Egyptians and the Israelites. He uses it to save us too. From this family would come a nation, the nation of Israel. From this nation would come a savior. From this nation would come Jesus. In her book, Sally Lloyd-Jones, in her book, the, St- the Jesus Storybook Bible, she explains it this way. One day, God would send another prince, a young prince whose heart would break. Like Joseph, he would leave his home and his father. His brothers would hate him and want him dead. He would be sold for pieces of silver. He would be punished even though he had done nothing wrong. But God would use everything that happened to this young prince, even the bad things, to do something good, to forgive the sins of the world. That prince, that man, was Jesus. Jesus is our greater Joseph, who comes to bring about salvation for us. So in closing, a couple of things to think about. On this day, Father's Day, is a chance to celebrate perhaps our earthly dads. But may it be an opportunity to celebrate them, but then also to celebrate the love of our ultimate father. And our ultimate father who invites us to join his family to become his sons, but then who then empowers us to display that same fatherly love to others. So in Jesus, we we become sons of the Father. He becomes the dad that our fathers could never be to us. But then not only that, he then empowers us to become people who can show that fatherly love to others so that we could, as Christians, especially as Christian men, could become the fathers that God always intended us to be. So let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you for this time that you've given us to look at your word and to be uh, reminded of, of the truth, Lord, of, uh, of, of how broken we can often find ourselves and our own families, Father, Lord, and, and how often that can be so disheartening, Lord. And Lord, we, I just want to thank you for the reminder, Lord, that no matter how broken our family can be, no matter how broken we are, 
that, Lord, you are the God who, who not only can uh, change us and use us, you can change us, you can work through us, Lord, um, but you also become our comfort, Lord. So, Lord, for, for us, Lord, where we, we're honest, we're like, yeah, Lord, our, our dads have failed us, Father. Lord, we, we pray, Lord, that we would lean into you, Lord, and find you as our ultimate father. Lord, and the way in which we do that is by putting our faith and trust in you. So help us to remember that you, Lord, are our ultimate father, the father that we've always needed, Lord. But then maybe go even further, Lord. May you then empower us to then demonstrate your fatherly love, not so that we would replace you, Jesus, not so that we would replace you, Heavenly Father, but rather that we would just be used as your tools to point people to you. So if we are blessed with children, that we would point our children to you. So, Lord, help us to learn from the mistakes of those who have been before. Lord, may you change us all. And we just want to thank you for the Father that you are to us, Lord. And, and Lord, we thank you for how you love us as a Father and you've become our Father. So, Lord, help us to remember these things. Lord, help us to live in light of these things, Lord, and help us to celebrate these beautiful truths, Jesus. In your name, we ask all of these things. Jesus. Amen.